Commemorating 67 days for Mandela Day, the voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. Assalamu alaikum and uh, welcome back to our special focus on Palestine this evening, of course, looking uh, at the tensions around Masjid al-Aqsa. Joining me in studio still Mulan Abdul Khalik Ali and Sheikh uh, Ishaq Talib as well, uh, both uh, from the MJC. Um, uh, in the break, uh, Mulan, we were chatting about uh, the uh, sort of a lack of response from faith-based communities on this particular issue. Um, would you say this sort of, uh, um, do you think that this thing is solely being looked at through a religious lens, which is basically, you know, causing people to take a uh, perhaps selective morality, uh, there's a kind of selective morality with regards to the issue of our AXA, because you look, if it doesn't affect me directly, uh, I'm not going to condemn it. Yes, so whilst we acknowledge, alhamdulillah, that there are many solidarity movements and because the Palestinian issue are looked at as a human rights issue there are numerous human rights violations that takes place and therefore the Palestinian people are being supported by various denominations and groups and faith-based communities when it comes to al-Masjid al-Aqsa al-Mubarak now remember this is the third holiest site to the Muslim community and we, in, in fact that entire area in the old city it is significant even to the Christian community so the Christian community's rights are also being violated and when these particular firing and the shooting takes place and there are restrictions in terms of moving movement within that particular old city then it also has an effect even on the Christian community mm. so what we are saying with references to this high-level desecration of Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa Al-Mubarak, when the Muslim Judicial Council notes the desecration or violation against any place of worship, be it a synagogue, be it a church or a Hindu temple, the fact of the matter is, principally, because it's a place of sanctity, we, under the leadership of our president and our former president, we take the stance to say places of worship, must be respected and no no level of violation must ever be accepted in this particular instance we would want to appeal and call upon uh, the interfaith communities to be able to say we have noted the violation against the against islam as a religion because islam uh, are, are being targeted here by a Zionist ideology that wants to push an ideology with references to what they believe is there. So Islam as well as Muslims are being uh, moved in this particular regard. So I, I would want to think and we would like to appeal to the interfaith communities to say let us hear your voices in support and solidarity of the holy site, the Masjid Al-Aqsa Al-Mubarak, that is a place of sanctity that must be honored and which has been desecrated and continuously been desecrated by the Zionist occupiers. Mm -hmm. And in this particular regard, uh, we, we, we hope that collectively 
with Palestinian solidarity movements, we can be able to emphasize from the religious perspective the violations against Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa Al-Mubarak to be a point of references for uh, other denominations, inshallah. Mm -hmm. I believe we also join on the line now uh, by Basil Ahbaria, a Palestinian student who's in uh, Umm al-Fakham at the moment. Uh, Basil, assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh to you and your esteemed guests shukran so much for joining us this evening Basil. um what has been your take from what point of view have you been as a palestinian yourself how have you been looking at uh, uh, the escalation of violence around uh, the masjid al-aqsa compound over the past few days just to track back uh, a little bit uh, these escalations happened uh, now <laughs> since friday when three youngsters decided um uh, to basically exchange uh, fire with the Israeli police, which uh, eventually ended up being inside the compound of Majlul Aqsa Mubarak, where the answers have uh, shot or killed uh, two soldiers, and and they have been uh, martyred on the spot uh, in uh, at Majlul Aqsa Mubarak. But what the Zionists have done, and they have been doing ever since, that they use every situation for their advantage and for their plan to take over Masjid Aqsa Mubarak. There should be no <coughs> confusion from anybody around the world that the aim of the Israeli regime itself is to control Masjid Aqsa Mubarak, is to take uh, hold of the whole compound, destroy it, both their um, acclaimed third temple of Solomon. So now what the Israelis um, portray to the world that we want peace, but we want you as Muslims to share the mosque with us. So, for example, if I have it in the morning, then you can have it in the evening. If I have portion of it, then you can have the other portion. So they want, what we want to instill right now is that this mosque does not belong to one group and not the other, but rather it's a shared place where different religions uh, share this mosque. <laughs> so when... When, when this incident happened, they closed down the mosque completely. They announced it was Friday. There was no Friday uh, salah in Masjid al-Sumbarak. There was no adhan. It continued through um, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, and so on. It continued for, for the whole Saturday. There was no adhan in Masjid al-Sumbarak. Nobody was allowed to enter. In this time, the Israeli forces, they could do whatever they want inside the Laksa Mosque. They have uh, went into offices, they went into the masjid itself, they have searched every spot, and we've been trying to see what they have done inside Masjid al Mubarak for those two days when nobody was around. Then they opened the mosque, but they did not open it on the same state that it was before, but rather they installed um, metal detectors on the doors of Masjid al Mubarak, and they said to the people of Jerusalem, said to the Palestinians, that no one is allowed to enter the mosque from now on unless he goes through a metal detector. Now, if we take a moment, this is, this is the first Qibla of the Muslims. This is the third Haram of the Muslims. This is the third holiest mosque. In, in times of, of Jumu'ah or in Ramadan, we have more than 200,000 people praying inside the mosque. Imagine those 200,000 people has to go one by one through a metal, de metal detector, mm. and that should happen day after day. So what the people of Jerusalem have said, 
and the mudir of awqaf, which is the head of the awqaf in Majlis Aqsa Mubarak, said, no Musalli, no Palestinian, no Muslim will enter through these detectors. We want them off, then we can enter into Majlis Aqsa Mubarak. Basil, then, I think my question would be then... um, do you think, yes, uh, you know, as we've discussed about the show, this is, of course, all that uh, the, the part of the Zionist uh, systematic plan to, uh, you know, occupy Mashal Aqsa, but do you think that perhaps these extreme security measures is a form of uh, psychological warfare, you know, perhaps to break down the resistance of, of Palestinians? They, the Israelis, what they do, they don't um, advance into Mashal Aqsa Mubarak at once. They are taking baby steps. If I can maybe um, look at Majlis Aqsa Mubarak 10 years back, we almost didn't have even guards at the, at the doors of Majlis Aqsa Mubarak. We didn't have groups entering, um, Zionists entering into the masjid. Now we have 15,000. We have, now we're splitting to 18,000, 20,000 Zionists entering Majlis Aqsa Mubarak throughout the year. So what we are doing is step by step. For example, last year, after the escalations happened and there was a lot of anger from uh, the Muslims, the Palestinians, because the Israelis were escalating the attacks. Now we have Zionists, uh, when they come into Masjid al Mubarak and storm uh, in the company of the Israeli uh, police and the, poli- and the army, they do prayers in the Masjid al-Aqsa. So now you, you coming out of, of uh, the Bumar Salah, for example, you see a Zionist, Praying inside Majlis Aqsa Mubarak. This five years back, we didn't have dreamed even to see something like that. So what we are doing is stepping step by step closer to taking control of the masjid. So when the last attacks happened last year, what they have done, they installed cameras throughout the compound. Now the Israelis have 24-hour footage of what happens inside Majlis Aqsa Mubarak all the time. Before, they did not have this. So now, them in using the situation to install those uh, doors is, is, is just a, a step extra to make it more difficult for us to enter into Majlis Aqsa Mubarak, make, make us more frustrated, because, uh, maybe even drive people not to come to the mosque, but obviously that's their dreams. But the, the people have showed us that they will, not, will never give up on Majlis Aqsa Mubarak. Those three youngsters that chose to get, sacrifice their lives is because what, what they have seen inside Majlis Mubarak. It's because those Zionists entering every day. Because on the doors of Majlis Mubarak, you have to be insulted almost every time you, you get into the masjid. Mm. So you don't feel that you're going to pray into a mosque. You feel like you're going through a, a military checkpoint, you're going into a battlefield. Mm. So adding this metal detector um, gates it's just basically another step furthering the uh, escalation of Majlis Mubarak. Benjamin Netanyahu always says we are keeping the status quo, right, in yeah. Majlis Mubarak. Mm. But this is not keeping the status quo. And if every time we are going to compromise and every time they put something extra uh, ahead of us and another hurdle before we get into Majlis Mubarak, then the next thing we're going to realize we probably will lose a portion of the masjid or lose maybe a whole time we can't enter into the masjid. That's why the people of Jerusalem have been praying in the streets just in front of those gates, refusing to pray inside the masjid unless those gates are removed. And this will continue until the Israelis will remove uh, these, these gates.
Pastor, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. But shukran so much for your input. And of course, uh, we, we laud uh, the Palestinian people for their continued perseverance and their resolve uh, in the, uh, terms of their resistance to Israeli Zionist occupation. Shukran so much. Shukran so much for you and all the listeners. Well, well, for now, we're going to take an ad break, and when we come back, uh, we'll chat more with Mullah Abdul Khalik Ali as well as Sheikh Ishaq Talib. Commemorating 67 days for Mandela Day, the voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM stereo. Seventeen minutes after eight, and welcome back to the show. We're going to uh, conclude with this segment of the show uh, with our conversation with uh, Malan Abdul Halik Ali as well as Sheikh Ishaq. Um, Sheikh, if I can perhaps turn to you, um, you know, South African Muslims, I think we tend to be very reactionary, uh, you know, in our approach to issues of uh, humanitarian nature, um, issues of outrage, and particularly on, on Palestine. I mean, we saw that huge march for for Gaza in 2014, but when things slip back into normality um, you know so does our consciousness as well how do we keep that alive how do we keep that sort of uh, mm-hmm. activism alive uh, <laughs> mashallah uh, very good question uh, sister doesn't but a curveball but okay, no problem <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, what, what is important for for our community uh, is is uh, to not only be sensitized when we see blood flow mm. Uh, because uh, the Zionist uh, regime's approach is a multifaceted approach. At times it manifests itself uh, through, through violence and, and shootings and killings and blood and so on. But uh, more often than not, on a daily basis, um, uh, uh, there, there are other forms of, of, uh, of, of desecrations, of, 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 of violations of people's uh, dignity and, and all of those things. Uh, and, and, and that, uh, like you said, they, they had become the norm. Uh, today it had become actually the almost like the acceptable norm uh, so uh, I, I think uh, what Palestinians uh, continue to tell us for example is for us to please continue to highlight the plight of the Palestinian people and to tell uh, the narrative uh, of the Palestinians from their perspective mm. from their particular perspective as mm. as the people being oppressed by an oppressor. They aren't, uh, in terms of military power and might and so on, <laughs> they aren't equal. Mm. We, we are talking about a, 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 uh, an illegitimate state uh, with, with military power, in fact with very uh, sophisticated military power mm. that, ex- that is exacting that particular power on a help, not helpless, on, on, a, on an, uh, a, a community and a people who are not armed militarily with weaponry and sophisticated weaponry and all of that the only thing that they do have is their will to want to live their lives in a dignified manner with all of their rights mm. uh, being um, being seen to and afforded to them mm. you know you, you, you speak it's a pretty brother Basil has, has, has now gone off air mm. but I'm sure if we had asked brother Basil would you want to live if there was a situation where you could live uh, harmoniously and, pu- and peacefully with uh, the, the, the Christian Palestinians and the Zionist or the Jewish uh, community, he will tell you, yes, mm. with all of this violence, with all of this desecration of their rights, with all of these us- usurpations of their rights, they will still tell you, if they really want to live with us harmoniously and peacefully, 
we are prepared to do so like our fathers and our forefathers have done before us mm. um, let us just take one call quickly uncle muhammad benjamin assalamu alaikum to you wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh you and the ulama there in the studio all praise and thanks goes to Salam. allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given the opportunity to listen and to talk and to interact you know today is like we say the 67 minutes day of mandela you know today was a day when a person had the opportunity to at least to tell the masses out there especially the people who haven't got the radio station what what the late Honorable Mandela used to say, used to say, Palestine will never be free until South Africa is free. And South Africa will never be free until Palestine is free. So that's why, you know, if the radio stations got the platform and we come out to the masses, give us the ordinary people to give these messages to these people because the people is listening sometimes, not precisely, they're listening to us. Mm. I mean, I've been to the program in Manenberg and I mean, that was my place, especially free at the Vontival, but I didn't get the opportunity. Um, Today we must Muhammad, make the people aware. The you know what is so important? You've got to make the people aware what is going on. Anyway, because long live the struggle of Palestine and I tell you, I am a small little activist, but I tell you, don't worry, there's East is going to come because these designers people they're going to come on the end of whatever they're trying. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. so much, uh, Uncle Muhammad. Uh, just to end off, uh, Molina, um, you know, usually, you know, the, the MJC Al Quds Foundation have for years been, you know, hosting these Palestinian programs. I know these programs every Thursday evening. Would the organizations be intensifying these initiatives now in the wake of these attacks? So, you know, when the Zionists occupy they've intensified their campaign and they've shown their atrocities during the past few days the violations against the Palestinian people the rightful owners of that particular uh, area in the masjid so it requires from the Muslim community equally to intensify our efforts and our campaign and our turning to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know ultimately everything rests in the hands of Almighty Allah. I would like to just add a point, Sister Tasneem. Yesterday is International uh, Mandela Day. And yes, our former president made that particular powerful statement. There's a context to how and when he have made that particular statement. We need to retrieve that particular context of when he made that particular statement. I would like to say at this particular point that our South African government that has stood on the principles of uh, human rights and freedom freedom of religion our constitution gives us the basic rights that the South African government should be heard making a statement in references to the current climate of desecration against Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa Al-Mubarak as the third holiest site for the Muslim Ummah mm. and here by saying that we appeal to equally the Muslim community to come and and, and, and on Thursday, when we have our program from, for the past 14 years, this particular program has been running, Asiyam, the fasting until liberation. So we, are, we appeal to the entire Muslim community to come out and fast on Thursday for the purposes and objective 
to gain the pleasure of Almighty Allah and with the intention that Allah must ease this plight around for the Palestinian people. Can we imagine their circumstances that they find themselves in? Ya Subhanallah. It must be extremely difficult and hard uh, with, with those particular conditions. And from time to time we find on social media somebody posting something that showcase on the one hand what Sheikh Ishaq has made references to. The victim and how determined that resistance is. That is what we support. And uh, equally, we would like to appeal to our, all our Imams, but I think Sheikh can maybe just share the dimension with references to the Dua'i Khunut and so forth. Yes. In conclusion. Yeah, Jazakallah Khairan Walana. Yes, so also the interaction to what you said and uh, Sister Tasneem's question what is it that we can do mm. um, to maintain the consciousness? Um, from the one side, I uh, want to appeal to VOC and all of our uh, Islamic or media, uh, Muslim media houses to uh, get the right narrative out there, or to continue rather to get the right story out there, mm. the authentic story of the Palestinian people out there. Remember Dr. Omar Al-Jayusi, mm. that was here uh, two, three years ago, mm. uh, or the, 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 uh, the call that he made when we had the meeting with uh, the people in, in, in media, I think you were, you were there, Sister Tasneem, mm. um, the call that he made was for, for, for us to come out and, and, and showcase uh, the Palestinian narrative in the way that it should be showcased. Mm. And that way we can, uh, we can help, inshallah ta'ala. Then the ordinary uh, people in our community, like Bita Muhammad Benjamin and others, um, like him, is to continue to uh, let Palestine live uh, and, uh, in your heart, and that the fire mm. of Palestine lives in your heart, inshallah, mm. and that you give um, expression to it in, 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 in word and, and, and deed. And yeah, we're not calling for violence, we are saying create awareness mm. around it. Mm. So uh, we call on, on our community, like Khalik did there uh, to continue to fast on 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 Thursday, inshallah ta'ala. Number one, it is sunnah to fast on a, on a Monday and Thursday. Number two, we are still in the month of Shawwal, so it is sunnah from that particular perspective as well. So for our people to fast on Thursday, inshallah ta'ala, for those who who can, um, and then to join us at uh, the masjid in uh, New Fields, in New Fields, inshallah ta'ala, where Sheikh Ibrahim Flores is 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 the Imam. Uh, to join us there for, for Maghrib, to break our fast there and inshallah ta'ala listen to some, some updates and so on with regards to uh, um, the happenings and the conditions in and around Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa Al-Mubarak. Then inshallah ta'ala we are also calling on, on our Imams uh, to make what is called Qunut Nazila and that is the special Qunut that we make when we want to invoke Allah Ta'ala's help for a people who are uh, oppressed or a people who are done uh, injustices to, like the Palestinian people. So uh, we, we are then calling on our Imams also to start making Qunut Nazila on Thursday evening, inshallah ta'ala, from Maghrib, inshallah, so Maghrib, then Isha the Thursday evening, Fajr uh, the next morning, Friday morning, the Jumu'ah, uh, Asr of that Friday, Maghrib, and inshallah we conclude with the Qunut also in Isha, inshallah ta'ala, because that is also... Um, uh, better in terms of the uh, way the Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi had uh, performed Qunut uh, Nazila. So uh, again the call is for Imams to uh, uh, encourage their communities and for the Imams themselves to uh, to come out inshallah ta'ala in, uh, in their numbers uh, because this is the time for us to, to uh, 
continue to give to our community and provide uh, to them visionary, solid, uncompromi uncompromising um, uh, leadership, inshallah, to set uh, that particular example. So Thursday evening, right through Maghrib Isha, Fajr the next morning, Jumu'ah, Asr, Maghrib Isha, Qunut of the Friday, inshallah ta'ala. And hopefully with these humble efforts, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant ease uh, to the Palestinian people, Ameen. inshallah ta'ala. Shukran so much for that information and to our esteemed scholars, Mulan Abdul Khalik Ali and Sheikh Ishaq Talib for joining us in studio and for their insights onto this very pressing issue. Uh, shukran, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalamu alaikum. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to our focus on Palestine tonight. Of course, a special focus on Mashir al-Aqsa. And uh, for the next few minutes, we're going to be chatting to Ibrahim Musa. He's a researcher at the Palestine Information Network. And of course, uh, Ibrahim writing uh, a number of columns and opinion pieces on uh, the issue of Palestine and Mashir al-Aqsa. Ibrahim, assalamu alaikum to you. Hope you're well. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A pleasure. Thank you so much to see. Ibrahim, so you've actually recently returned from uh, Turkey where you attended the Al-Quds Youth Conference in Istanbul. I know uh, there were some very influential figures there like Usama Hamdan from Hamas as well uh, as Molina uh, Hassan Hendricks uh, of the MJC and Al-Quds Foundation. Uh, quite ironic that at the time that you were there, um, you know, this violence flared up as well. Were you able to, I mean, was this a, a topic of discussion was the conference able to navigate some of the issues around Masjid al-Aqsa? Uh, yes, Tassin, just a clarification there. There were a few conferences happening at the same time. The one okay. is the youth conference, which you described correctly there. I actually wasn't um, in attendance at that particular conference. I was at a separate venue, also a, a, a very um, high-powered conference. But this one was directed at Khatib's and um, ulama particularly, um, and it was organized by, you know, international ulama bodies as well as Palestinian ulama in the diaspora. And the objective of this conference was to bring together um, ulama to come forward and uh, share ideas on, uh, you know, dealing with the Palestinian issue, Masjid al-Aqsa in particular, how do we articulate the message um, to the masses and also for the different groupings, the different scholars in different countries to put forward on the table, you know, the strategies and the programs that they have enacted in their countries to, uh, you know, effectively contribute towards education regarding Masjid al-Aqsa. So that was the, the purpose of the conference. And as you correctly point out, it happened, um, it actually started on Friday morning. Uh, last Friday morning, and that was uh, back bang with the backdrop of uh, the shooting that occurred at Masjid al-Aqsa, and thereafter the prevention of Juma Salah taking place at Masjid al-Aqsa. So it was unavoidable, and you know that just uh, gave everybody greater impetus when it came to the discussions um, and you know the, a sense of urgency that uh, this should not just be a talk shop. And I should say that perhaps 
sometimes it could be argued that you know conferences and symposiums even if it comes to the Palestinian issue many a time uh, you know it happens in a very academic setting or sometimes it, it could be described as a lot of hot air rhetoric or talk show but I think I found this um, to be very concrete uh, because of the central role that the, uh, the conference described that ulama has to play and scholars have to play in actually directing the message towards meaningful action. Yeah. Now, um, you know, for years, religious figures and politicians have been warning uh, that any uh, Israeli move to change uh, the exclusive control of the site would perhaps add an explosive religious angle to the political conflict. Uh, from your point of view, should we be looking at the Al-Aqsa issue through a religious or political lens? You see, uh, obviously everybody has a a part to play and the conflict has, has many dimensions. And, uh, you know, it's, if one has to examine the nature of, of Zionism, uh, you know, it, it appropriated, it's an ideology that appropriated uh, religion. And, uh, you know, there's the land dimension, the occupation being central, central to the entire uh, conflict, so the, the various dimensions, uh, but, you know, cut through all of that at some stage, even if one wants to look at this purely as, uh, you know, a, a political issue, purely as an issue of occupation or theft for land, uh, Masjid al-Aqsa lies at the heart of that, and that's where we find the intersection between all of these issues, as well as religion. And when we come to the heart of Masjid al-Aqsa, there's no, um, there, there's no de- denial of the centrality that this particular piece of ground holds for the Islamic faith, the rich history, prophetic history um, that this particular place holds. So I, I think there's no point uh, shirking away from the issue. And even if one has to look at uh, this particular conflict, as, uh, you know, obviously the theft of land, the Nakba expropriation, uh, an ongoing process of dispossession, uh, even from the religious perspective, uh, we would know that somebody who is in the forefront of defending his property against being expropriated is, is somebody who is striving in the way of the Almighty. So uh, we, we obviously embrace all particular, um, uh, you know, strands of the struggle and, uh, you know, do, do not deny them their legitimacy, but at the same time uh, not try to shun um, Masjid al-Aqsa and for Palestinians, even from a nationalistic angle, uh, they've seen their, uh, you, you know, various levels of stripped away from, um, you know. Ibrahim, are you there? All right, hear me? Yes, yes, yes. You, I can hear you. Yeah. You can go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so from the time prior to the Nakba, the Nakba itself, uh, land being stripped away, the, uh, you know, nationhood being stripped away, identity stripped away, and basically what's left um, is Masjid al-Aqsa, a religious symbol, but it's also a national symbol, and these moves to encroach deeper on Masjid al-Aqsa are actually, you know, striking at the heart of 
the Palestinian national aspiration. Um, and, and therefore, it's, it's really the intersection of all these different uh, spheres of the Palestinian cause all come together when we speak about Masjid al-Aqsa. Mm. Just looking at the events of Friday and, and the consequent or the subsequent uh, measures placed by the Israeli authorities, um, do you think that these extreme security measures uh, are justified? Isn't it is it an adequate response to the killings at the compound on Friday? It's um, as one of the Palestinians um, have, you know, articulately, I think, tweeted today. Uh, you know, it, the, the, the argument can be made, um, or the argument is made from the uh, Zionist side that this, these gates, these electronic scanners that have now been placed at the doors of Masjid Al-Aqsa are there for security and to bring peace to the site. Uh, One question that can be posed is uh, we talk about the different, uh, you know, visitors to the site, Muslims, according to, uh, you know, the Zionist side, they claim that the settlers also have to pass through it when they pass through the Moroccan gate um, and, uh, you know, other tourists also have to pass through it. That's debatable. But Beyond that, um, why the different rules and for the police, uh, Israeli police and soldiers and intelligence operatives who uh, pass through the site, um, you know, with free will, roam wherever they are. Um, And I saw it personally in the month of Ramadan, uh, you know, armed to the T, moving around, uh, you know, in contravention of if, if, if this, this should be the law, but, you know, that, that's just a counter-argument. But beyond, uh, you know, saying this is for security and this is for peace, the argument from the Palestinian that I quoted earlier was that this is not about peace. This is not about security. We don't see it in that light. We see these scanners as an instrument of dominion. We see it as an instrument of asserting sovereignty. And... There's very good reason to believe that. There's good reason to believe that if uh, one has to go, uh, you know, 45 minutes drive out from Masjid Al-Aqsa and go to the Ibrahimi Masjid, as I did in Ramadan, you have to go through two checkpoints right at the door of the Masjid. Mm. And, you know, when people have been saying Ibrahimi Masjid is going to happen at Masjid Al-Aqsa, immediately uh, when I saw these, uh, the installation or the reports of the installation of these at the doors of Masjid al-Aqsa, that, that immediately rang a bell. Mm-hmm. And something also to consider, um, as my experience in Ramadan bore out, is Palestinians, uh, you know, I was there just on a personal level with uh, my family and uh, a young, my young infant with me as well. And people looked at this infant and saying, you know, we haven't been here as Palestinians. Here's a young child that has come here, uh, barely one year old, and we haven't been here um, you know, for decades, and we come in here for the first time in our old age, you saw Palestinians who were crying, uh, you know, fainting because they finally made it to Masjid al-Aqsa. You saw uh, Palestinians with wounds because they jumped over the walls. Uh, oh, Palestinians yeah. from different areas who've never met uh, family members for the first time coming and embracing each other because of the occupation. Uh, this is the only place that they finally got to meet. So it is so difficult for Palestinians to come to Masjid al-Aqsa, and this, these scanners now placed at the gate are just going to prolong that agony um, and that arduous process 
that Palestinians, uh, you know, go through to actually finally get to Masjid al-Aqsa. Uh, lastly, Ibrahim, I think on a more positive note, we've seen some amazing images uh, on social media, which uh, I'd say portrays the very spirited uh, show of force by the Palestinians. What do you make of this form of resistance? It, it, it's amazing. It's, it's, you know, poetic resistance um, at its best. And, uh, you, you know, we've uh, probably had this discussion a long time ago, uh, you know, is it an intifada or not? And the writer Ramzi Baroud a while back had uh, pointed out that, uh, you know, we mustn't be obsessed with, uh, you know, whether it's a new intifada or not. Mm. You know, Palestinians have been in a continuous process of intifada. And this is just another manifestation of Samud, steadfastness and intifada. And I think what strikes me uh, the most is, the most iconic images that have come out are those of communi- communion with the Almighty. Um, the, I think the most striking images is, you know, in protest, people coming out um, outside Masjid al-Aqsa. And, and the thing that rallies all of them together is the Salah. So all the false Salah performed outside Masjid al-Aqsa today, there were images coming through as well of uh, Palestinians performing Salat al-Hajat, the Salat of Need. Uh, some of them, you know, going right in front of the barriers of the occupation uh, and forming circles to recite Quran. And uh, there's also, you know, the, the colorful aspect to it, which is um, because these people are making a sacrifice, closing their businesses, coming from distances just to be present, show their presence in mm. the solidarity, uh, the people of Jerusalem all city of Jerusalem, those who perhaps are older or not part of the, uh, you know, lively um, action on the streets, they've been working behind the scenes to prepare meals and to make the stay of these resistors as comfortable as possible. So there were images as well coming through of, you know, serving uh, good meals to the Palestinians, uh, traditional meals, those who are out in the streets, making sure that, uh, you know, they keep up their spirits and keep up the struggle again, uh, against uh, these barriers until their demands are met. SubhanAllah. Wow. Um, Ibrahim, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. I was hoping we could still chat to you for a bit longer, given you've got uh, some very interesting insights into uh, the culture and the dynamics in the old, old city, you know, following your visit there in the month of Ramadan. But uh, shukran so much to you and uh, all the best. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Commemorating 67 days for Mandela Day. The voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM stereo. Forty-seven minutes after eight o'clock. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the show. Of course, uh, still discussing the heightened tensions in uh, East Jerusalem over this past few days. And uh, the question we're asking tonight is: Why is Israel tightening its grip on Al-Aqsa, and why is the sacred site a recurring? Flashpoint. Um, and uh, for the next few minutes, we're going to chat to uh, Zakir Ahmed Mayat, the uh, chairperson of the Media Review Network. Zakir, assalamu alaikum to you. 
Shukran so much for joining us, Zakir. I think I want to look at first um, uh, at the MRN statement uh, with regards to the killing of the three Palestinians. Um, Dr. Aisha Soni was, uh, she labeled the Palestinians as martyrs, uh, particularly referencing uh, the uh, head of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, um, in a telephone call to the Israeli Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu condemning the attack. Uh, what do you think this says about the collaborative role uh, that the PA has with the Zionist regime in terms of uh, its continued oppression of the Palestinian people? I think that the uh, phone call that is alleged to have taken place uh, directed from Mahmoud Abbas uh, underscores the pattern that we've been observing uh, more prominently as of late of the collaboration between the Palestinian Authority and Israel. Uh, the most clear example that predates the current events that are taking place in uh, Haram al-Sharif and Beit al-Maqdas uh, was the killing of Basil al-Arish, who was known uh, as the Palestinian intellectual, the pharmacist from Bethlehem. And uh, he was uh, killed in Kandura by Israeli forces only because they were tipped off by Palestinian Authority forces. Uh, we saw this continuing uh, recently on the 8th of July, a Palestinian journalist, uh, Jihad Barakat, was taking pictures of harassment uh, of, a, uh, of the Palestinian PA Prime Minister, Rami Hamdallah, and it was not Israeli forces that came to arrest him, it was Palestinian Authority forces. And uh, we see this cracking down on journalists by the Palestinian Authority, we see them cracking down on uh, um, uh, activists like uh, Basil al-Arish, and therefore we see that their role has only been that of an enforcer of Israeli occupation. And the failure uh, by Mahmoud Abbas to take decisive action at the get-go uh, is indicative of his collaborative role. I understand now recently that he's come out with a statement uh, condemning the actions by Israel uh, in relation to Masjid al-Aqsa, calling for intensification of protests, etc. However, it comes a little too late when your forces are on the side of Israel and not on the side of the people of Palestine. Mm. Now, um, when we look at this particular situation, I mean, you know, despite the, the Israeli pressure and the U.S. pressure, we've seen several resolutions that have been passed by UNESCO and the U.N. General Assembly in recent months, which have essentially reaffirmed Palestinian rights in the city. Do you think that this latest or these extreme measures by Netanyahu is simply a means to punish the Palestinians for uh, the UNESCO decisions? I think there is uh, a degree of collective punishment. I think it's a dual-pronged uh, approach uh, that is being utilized by the uh, thugs that control the state of Israel. Uh, I think the one aspect is to understand that Israel has consistently violated United Nations resolutions uh, uh, from uh, at least uh, the 1950s when they annexed part of Jerusalem all the way to uh, 1968 when the UN Security Council uh, clearly stated that Jerusalem is Jerusalem, is the capital of the Palestinian state, it is occupied territory, and Israel has consistently uh, violated uh, these resolutions. Uh, in 1999, for example, uh, we reached a peak where the expansion of the Israeli settlements, Malia Abdelmim, uh, created this buffer that broke up uh, East Jerusalem from the rest of Palestine in the West Bank. 
and uh, the attempts to jeopardize the, uh, the entire area have become more prominent. In terms of collective punishment, I think that indeed there is collective punishment. The shutting down of Masjid al-Aqsa, uh, the last time that was seen was in 1969 when Masjid al-Aqsa was torched by Israelis. Uh, and uh, this current uh, attack, uh, which is only resistance, because you must bear in mind uh, Jerusalem, Masjid al-Aqsa, Baytul Maqdas, Haram al-Sharif is occupied territory. So the attacks by those Palestinians is a manifestation of the resistance. They attack not civilian targets, they attack security targets. And therefore, they have legitimately utilized their right to resist. And in an attempt uh, to punish the Palestinians, they have shut down Masjid al-Aqsa. They continue to build and expand settlements, deny Palestinians in East Jerusalem permits to expand their homes, and uh, enforce house demolitions as collective punishments on Palestinians. And I think this is indicative of the very nature of Israel. Uh, it is a harsh state that believes in disproportionate force. It was established on the basis of terror and continues to utilize uh, these heavy-handed approaches to undermine the rule of law. And it is then now upon uh, individuals, uh, people, uh, justice-loving people, to ensure that the Palestinian rights are protected and the rights of all people struggling for freedom uh, against occupiers is indeed ensured and also achieved. And I think that is our duty and our obligation as South Africans and uh, justice-loving people as well. Just to uh, just to, to you know reiterate, to go back to that point, you know, with reference to the Fourth Geneva Convention, Article 93, um, are you essentially saying that we can argue that the, the shutting down of our Aqsa Masjid and the, the current restrictions are a violation of international law. Yes, indeed. Uh, what is happening, uh, the Geneva Conventions, uh, the Fourth Geneva Conventions, the Protocols, Hague Conventions, all speak uh, to uh, protected people being uh, ensured the right to practice their religion. What we are seeing is a limitation which is not justified uh, in any manner or form by Israel. The imposition of the scanners is also a means, and I agree with Brother Ibrahim Musa, that it is a means of uh, exercising dominion over the Palestinians uh, and it is clearly uh, a sign of occupation. Uh, the uh, settlers are not going through these systems. Uh, the settlers, in, in fact, are violating, desecrating Mr. Laksha with their presence and their activities within the precincts, especially now. And I, I think that this is indeed a violation of the articles of the Geneva Convention, Hague Convention protocols as well. And we have to understand that the operative uh, pieces of legislation is indeed the Geneva Convention because this is at occupied territories. And we must not lose sight of the legal aspect uh, that has been uh, brought to the fore with the recent actions of Israel. Mm. Uh, Zakir, if we can turn quickly to the geopolitical situation. You know, recently we've seen shocking revelations of Saudi Arabia's very cozy alliance with Israel. Uh, Saudi's uh, hardline stance on Qatar has also been very shocking and uh, a huge disappointment for, for Muslims worldwide and Palestinians in particular. How do you think this has emboldened the Israeli regime? The interesting thing, Kassim, is that uh, this discussion about what happened with Qatar was spoken about by Israeli policymakers, the military generals, and the head uh, of the intelligence ten months before it took place. The alliances, what would happen with Qatar, everything was spoken about ten months before, which is indicative of the fact that the true architects of the Qatar uh, crisis was not the GCC states, but truly Israel. Uh, in light of the recent uh, developments around Qatar, what we've seen is uh, Arab states, the G7, 
PCC Plus One, as I like to call them, with uh, Egypt coming out very openly, uh, declaring their relations with Israel. Uh, in fact, if you look at the Saudi example, uh, you have for the first time Saudi analysts appearing on Israeli television. Uh, one of the conferences op-ed appeared in Israeli newspapers. There is uh, extensive military cooperation between Israel and Saudi Arabia on an intelligence level. Uh, it's as if uh, they are one in the same. If you look at Bahrain, for example, you have Israeli special forces that are currently containing protests in Bahrain uh, on behalf of the Al-Khadifa regime. Uh, you have uh, the Al-Khadifa family uh, only being treated in Israeli hospitals. And then you have United Arab Emirates, which is manufacturing uh, warships for Israel. Uh, this is the extent of the cooperation between Israel and the GCC states. And we know that Egypt... Uh, force of Israel in terms of the suffocation and the inhumane siege that is being imposed on Gaza. So uh, we have this development where there has been this revelation of very close relationships between Israel and uh, the rest of the Arab states, and I believe that uh, explains why the Arab League only came out with a statement today. Four days after the event, uh, the Arab League, uh, in a lethargic manner, then comes out and condemns Israeli actions, uh, but were very quick uh, to act with Qatar, uh, surprisingly so. Uh, and I think this is indicative of the fact that they are, they are unfortunately serving an Israeli agenda and have chosen Israel over the Palestinian people. And therefore, the liberation of Palestine rests on the shoulders of people and not governments. And I believe that is our obligation in the modern day and age. Some moot analysis there from Zakir Ahmed Mai, the chairperson of the Media Review Network. Zakir, shukran so much for your contribution to the show. Always a pleasure. Shukran. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. For now, we take an ad break and we're going to wrap up uh, in the next 10 minutes of the show.